Hey, welcome to the recovery scene. I'm your host, Leslie, and tonight I have Erin Stapleton with us. Her story starts at the age of 13, coming from a, we'll say, toxic household. Erin um, is one of those people that has addiction on both sides. According to Emory University, you've got about a 50% shot. So I'm going to let Erin take it away and tell you about her 50%. And uh, how on that went. Hey, Erin, thank you so much for being on here tonight. I really am excited. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So where to begin? Um, so like you said, grew up in a volatile household. Um, it was me and my sister um, and my mother. My father was in and out with his drug addiction as well. Um, he was addicted to heroin, also drank um crazy amounts of drinking. Um, but you know, we're a big Italian family and his family was all, um, Greek. So that's really kind of what they did. Um, and my mom was a teen mother. Uh, she had my sister when she was 16, me when she was 18. Um, my father was much older than her and, um, you know, he was just really abusive. He would kind of just kind of make us sit there and watch him beat my mother. And, um, she finally got the courage to kick him out, but he would still come to our house and break in. So he'd break in and we would, we would hide, we'd run and hide from him. Um, because he was just, it was, he wasn't in his right mind, you know, and now I understand that now I kind of did it before. And, you know, I had this image of, you know, one day finding him because he signed his rights over, um, to us and kind of had this just child image of me finding him and just beating him with a baseball bat. And I swear this was in my head for so long. Um, well, it must have made your childhood terrifying. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, he was, he would, he would just come in and just do just crazy things. Like he would pull all of our food out, bleach it, you know, so we didn't have anything. I mean, just hatred in him. And, um, you know, now I know that's from the addiction and, um, you know, him not being really there. So he kind of left our lives and, um, you know, it was kind of just the three of us. Now my mom worked a lot. She left us with random babysitters here and there. Um, we did have one that was a constant. However, she watched, a, a you know, a bunch of kids and with all that came, you know, you not really knowing somebody who was watching your children. And, um, you know, I was sexually assaulted when I was very young, uh, seven, eight. And, um, you know, that went on until we moved out of that area. Um, we finally, we lived in Baltimore city, um, and moved to Annapolis, Maryland. And, um, my mother met a man, um, a wonderful person, still a very wonderful person. Um, but again, you know, being a new in that area, it, it all happened again. You know, she had this friend that she trusted and he had, she had an older son and left me there with them for a weekend. And same thing happened, sexually assaulted by him as well. So I think all that really kind of played into, you know, an excuse. Now I know that it was a me problem, not a drug problem, but you know, those were my excuses for everything. You know, this happened. So I need this, this happened. So I need this. Well, you know, when we moved down there, I was about 10 years old. Um, uh, grew up a couple years went by and then 13, I picked up, uh, marijuana. That was the first thing I did. 
And I had an older sister, like I said, so she was kind of leading the way for me. Um, you know, I won't get into her and too much, but she definitely has an alcohol problem as well. Um, just never addressed. Um, so she introduced me kind of to that life. It started out with the marijuana, then it was cigarettes. Um, I'm still a cigarette smoker to this day at 13 years old and I am now 40. So, um, picked up the marijuana, then, you know, that was really a constant for a long, long time. Um, you know, hung out with my sisters and all of her friends. And then I picked up cocaine at 16. Um, now would you but, say, um, Aaron, would you say, sorry, that you were no. self-medicating and kind of numbing pain? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, anything to push any feeling down. And it did not matter what feeling that was. It could have been a happy feeling. I could be excited for something. It didn't matter. I wanted to numb it all. I didn't want to feel any of it. Mm -hmm. Nothing at all. Um, so that kind of, you know, and then through that time, we moved again and moved to a very rural at the time area in Southern Maryland. Um, and there was nothing. I, we really just had a Taco Bell and a giant and I'm not joking. Um, so, you know, what is there left to do for children around there? We all did drugs and anything we could get our hands on. Um, but during high school, it was a lot of drinking and a lot of marijuana. Um, dabbled in some ecstasy and also some, um, did I say drinking? I'm having a squirrel moment. Um, so, but lots of drinking. I mean, there was just nothing to do. So we go out in fields and drink. I mean, just, you know, the country lifestyle. Right, right. Um, I mean, they sing about it in songs. Like, that's just normal, you know? It really or, is. Or, we pack into a minivan, as many people as we could, and just go out to a field somewhere. So funny thinking back on it now. But, um, you know, that, I, I, I met my high school sweetheart, and I had a child with him uh, at 18. And he... Uh, him and I, we, I mean, I don't even know how I function. We smoked so much marijuana and that went on for years. However, I was able to put that down. I kind of just had enough after a few years and, um, I had married him, but we got a divorce. Um, and my son now is 21. So <clears throat> through that time, I was able to put that down. I kind of had a period of just dabbling and stuff, nothing crazy. Um, it really wasn't until I broke my leg at, in 2011 and um, I broke it pretty badly. I needed three surgeries, screws and plates, and I was overprescribed to the max. And when I mean to the max, these doctors gave me Valium for muscle spasms, morphine, Percocet. I mean, that's insane. Wow. There's no reason you should be sent home with that many. No, that's like the benzo opioid jackpot. For exactly. And I mean, 120 of just one of those, just one. So, I mean, the doctors out here today are, are, are extremely over prescribing. And, and I know from experience, so that's really where it all started. And when that ran out, when I wasn't supposed to be feeling pain anymore, I just went to the streets to find what I needed. 
Right, because they also, the hospitals and doctors, they give people this stuff and there's nothing for when they're coming off of it. Exactly, nothing. Nothing, nothing to help you know, get through withdrawal, nothing to taper down, no counseling, no nothing. And these are hard, people don't realize, especially people who don't have addictive personality, they can still get addicted to these just because they don't want to go through the withdrawal. Right. Not because they want the high. These are dangerous and people don't realize, they don't realize. And there's no aftercare. Cut off. And you know, yeah, no aftercare at all, at all. And um, I was prescribed this for months. But, you know, the funny thing now that you bring that up, when I was going home from one of my surgeries, the nurse said to me, what is your pain level? If you say higher than a seven, I can give you another Percocet before you leave. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And this was a military hey, hospital. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And I'm like, yeah, I love the way this makes me feel. Why wouldn't I tell you I'm in a seven or a 10? Right. So um, uh, at, before that, let me back up a little bit. But before that, I had another child, uh, my middle child. He's 12 now. I was completely fine. No, you know, I wasn't on anything when I was pregnant with him at all. Um, so this happened. He was about four years old at this time. So moving forward, um, I had met a friend and she kind of introduced me to the scene out here. And that really spiraled out of control very, very quickly for me. I mean, very quickly. I was so immersed in this drug world and thought these people were my friends. And they absolutely were not. They were only people that I could use or could use me. Um, but you know, my mind, in my mind, I thought these people were friends, you know, I'm looking out for you, you're looking out for me, but it really, you know, that's just crazy insanity of it all. Um, yeah. so during this time I was, I was doing absolutely anything I could to feed this addiction. And when I say that, I mean, I was selling everything I could drug wise to, to make enough money to be able to keep anything I could or to, you know, buy what I could, um, which is crazy. You know, I'm a, I'm like a four foot, nothing little somebody. And I'm out here literally selling hardcore drugs to absolutely anybody. And I did not care where it took me at all, right. which in turn took me to Baltimore city. And if you know anything about Baltimore city, it ain't pretty. Um, you know, and they just don't care down there. I, I would be standing on a corner and the cops would come and you just walk to the next one. I mean, it's crazy. And, um, so in between that time frame, I got pregnant and I could not put that stuff down to save my life. I tried and I tried and I tried. I even, um, sought medical attention. I went to a person who specialized in, um, pregnant women who, we're addicted. Now, and I still, still put it. Um, what are you addicted to right now? Like not right now, but in the story right now. Okay, so in the story at that point, I was addicted to Percocets and Opanas were it for me. I mean, and for that, it was that's like heroin in a pill. Those things right. are insane. Right, they are. Um exactly. and that's yeah, and, and they they are rampant down here. A lot of people say they can't find them, but they are all over the place down here. But you know. 
I would do Percocets just to feel normal so I wouldn't be sick. They didn't do anything for me at all at this point. Nothing. Um, you know, and in this time frame, I actually had found, um, I went look, searching for my father because like I said, I had that thought in my head. Um, and I found a relative on Facebook who dug into it for me. And I actually found out he died of a heroin overdose. Mm. Um, I think it was about, actually it was about nine years ago now. So that is definitely really rampant in this family. Um, you know, and my sister was actually the first person that sold me my first Percocet. So, you know, a family disease is exactly what it is. It is exactly what it is. Um, and I really, really, truly believe, I know there's a lot of people that don't believe this, but I really, really, truly believe that it, this has somewhat to do with hereditary, it being hereditary. Um, because it is definitely through me and my sister. I do have a sister who is uh, a half sister and she's fine, but she didn't have the father I had either. She has a, separate, a different father. So, you know, it's kind of, I can kind of look at it that way and see the differences. Right. So th through that, you know, it gets right, crazy. So it this... derailed you a little bit. So you were pregnant. Right. You were trying to put it down and you couldn't. <laughs> right. So I couldn't. You're good. I was about to go back to this. So I went um, and sought medical attention. And there's actually a specialist in my county who does just that just pregnant women who are addicted. There was no program in this county and he started it. Very nice man. Um, but they don't do anything when you show up and you are giving dirty urines. They just continue to give you the subutex and hope you don't do anymore. I mean, right. I don't know really what they're what they can do. I know they can probably, they can, you know, nowadays they will take your child from you. I oh, know that yeah. they, they um, give everybody your analysis when you go in. That's really where that stemmed from because I didn't want my child taken away. So it was about eight months into about, I want to say four weeks before I had him. I really just sat my ass in this house and I did not move. I almost had to buckle myself to the bed and not get up because it, I had to sit there and tell myself, you are going to lose this child if you do not get it together. If he is born with anything in your in his system and if you go in there and you have him and there's anything in your system besides the subjects that they know you're on and supposed to be on, you're, done, you're losing him. You're not going to get him back. So I actually was able to stop the last three weeks I also only took a small piece of that Subutex when I went to the doctor because I didn't want to be thrown out of that program because I didn't want CPS called on me. And he right. was born not addicted to anything. And they didn't find anything in his system either. Wow. Now I don't know how that happened. No addiction or opioid withdrawal. That took so much strength to do because it had to have been made worse being pregnant the withdrawal i mean it was, it was and and it because you got so much more blood flow that you are you're taking more number one because it doesn't sustain you for much for long because it's your blood is just going you know you're circulating a lot but then also you need more just to or of the the um subutex just to help you 
to be able to feel okay. So you're not sick and you're not, you know, hurting the baby, even though that's a crazy mindset as well, because you're already doing that when you're doing drugs. Right. Right. So I really honestly do not know how I did it, but I just did. But I'm going to tell you the minute I had him, I had people delivering drugs to my room and I was selling them out of my maternity room. Wow. And yes. Right back to the races. Right back to it. I mean, it's that obsession. That obsession had a hold of me and it did not matter that I put that down for the three weeks. It did not matter at all. It's all I thought about. Like as soon as, as soon as I have him, I, gosh, I hope he's healthy because, because I want to do this again. (laughs) And, um, it, it really is an obsession compulsion thing. However, um, you know, in that program, they do have CPS check on you at your home. Well, they never came. They never came. Nobody ever came in. Nobody ever checked on me after I left that room at all. We had to stay in there for five days to make sure he was okay. And he was, he had absolutely no signs of withdrawal at all, which was great because there was always a possibility that he could have withdrew, uh, had withdrawals from the subutex as well, but he had absolutely nothing. So, um, you know, and there was even an instance where I had dropped a pill on the floor outside of that, of the bathroom in that room. And I found it as I'm walking out and I'm looking at, and even that didn't stop me. They could have seen that and they could have taken him right then and there, right then and there. And that would have been it. And even that unity of the disease, it's so insane. And just having people come in, into my room when, where I just had this baby and I'm selling them drugs to support my habit. And I told myself, I'm not picking up after this. I'm not picking up. But I'm also telling myself, I can't wait to do this again. I can't wait to do this again. And, um, you know, it's it's just a fight with your with your mental. It is such a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I left there. And it was right back to the races before I even left there. But I was so addicted. Probably a week into it, I couldn't. I couldn't just put that down again. Right. Or I would have been going through the withdrawals again. Um. And so that continued. And, you know, honestly, once I, nobody ever came to check my house and make sure everything was okay, um, I felt like I was kind of invincible. Like, you know, nobody's going to catch me. I'm good. Right. You know, I always made sure I had everything my children need food-wise, all that. Um, I was lucky to that point um, because sometimes you don't have that. I made sure they were taken care of first, but I always made sure there was a way for me to get what I needed as well. Um, so it was about, um, oh my goodness, you, you, um, you do editing, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm like, I'm having a brain fart right now. Um, okay. So I'm coming to my, my, where I had somebody overdose and die, um, is really kind of where it all went down for me. Um, I had a really good friend. I had just dropped this person off at work and an hour later he was found dead on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. Um, whoever he was with, um, and they're never going to probably 
find or care because that's just what they do around here. They don't care. They really don't. And um, we had tried to help as much as we could with anything we could, but they pretty much, he was ODing. There's a, there was a triple A about half a mile away, which it, a triple A down here is a medical unit. And instead of taking him there and getting him medical attention, they dumped him on the side of the road and let him die. Yeah. So, and you know, there's laws now where you don't get in trouble if you're trying to save someone. Right, right. So that was the beginning of my downfall is when that happened. Two days later, I had taken something, which I believe was a pressed pill. And I was driving and I blacked out and That's I honestly what a pressed pill is. Okay. So in actually, have no idea. Right. So this one actually was not a Percocet press. This was a Xanax press. And I'm going to tell you because I have a little bit of insider info on this stuff. This one wasn't laced with fentanyl. This actually was from out of country um, because they tested it when the cops find stuff like that, they test them. And it's also, it's called flu alprazolam. I don't know if you've heard of that. Mm. They tweak it in just a molecular level to where they can get it into the United States without it being a CDS. So it's non-CDS, but it is about 10 times as strong as a Xanax. Wow. One Xanax bar, I took a quarter of it and I was completely blacked out driving. Mm. So I wind up, wrecking the car I don't even know what I hit luckily it was not a person um but I was I wound up on the wrong side of the road facing the wrong way and that's and the cops of course were called and um they took me in did a sobriety check I was all over the place so I knew they were taking me in um got to and it was state trooper so it got me into the state trooper barracks and um they said they were gonna let me go and they were gonna have somebody pick me up until I they found drugs in my car uh, and not so then much. I was taken to jail. Yeah. Then I was taken to jail. Um, I got out on my own recognizance and, um, went right to the man. I mean, right. To the, Cause that's where I was. I was on my way to that. Didn't get to go. So as soon as I got out, I was right back to it. Mm -hmm. That couldn't have, nothing was, nothing was stopping me. Nothing. Um, and well, in that time frame, face the reality of what just happened too. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. who wants to do that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh well, it gets much better and much worse, girl. So, um, but in this time frame, I started actually taking. I, I knew a person who was selling the pressed Percocet pills that looked like it was a regular thirty, but it was nothing but fentanyl, mm -hmm. and so I wasn't getting regular anymore. I said, screw the Opanas, did not do the Percocets anymore. I just wanted those fentanyl pills. And wow. they had a, an abundance. And I'm telling you, they never ran out. So, um, yeah, that's all I was doing. And I mean, it was hops giving a jump for me. So I just, and, and this person would give them to me. I mean, just give them to me. If I didn't have money, no problem. I get them anyway. Right. Um. And, you know, that was the incentive of me, of, of me getting immersed so strongly in this drug world, so strongly that people trusted me enough to just give them to me 
because I always paid them back, which is crazy because normally (laughs) right. And if anybody doesn't know fentanyl, I mean, just taking straight fentanyl pills, fentanyl is usually something that they lace stuff with because it's considered Mm -hmm. extremely dangerous. One of the most dangerous. Extremely. So Erin is telling you she was taking straight fentanyl pills. Just yep. wonderful then context there. Absolutely. And you know, the crazy thing now is you can go on the internet and buy a presser and the color. And there you go. It, it's it's horrible. It should not be allowed. No at all. It really shouldn't. Um and and people are dying from this. And this just goes to show you how bad off I was and how high my tolerance was. Yeah. People were ODing off of one of these, and I was taking at least four at a time, if not more. Throughout the day, you could catch me doing 15 of them. That's how bad I was yeah, at this point. Tolerance. Yeah. That is a dangerous tolerance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, at that, then about a month later, another friend of mine OD'd and died. He was actually in recovery for three years and started doing heroin again. However, around me, there is no heroin anymore. It is only fentanyl. Um, And was that, that one got me. That one really, that was the spiral that spiraled me completely out of control at that point when I, he was a very good friend of mine. So, and I still kind of have a hard time with it to this day because he had called me that night and I didn't answer the phone. And by the next morning he was dead. So I, I'm still working on the forgiveness part of that mm-hmm. because I know there was nothing I could do probably even if I answered that phone. Right. But it's still fresh. I mean, that just, that was just in July. So mm-hmm. it hasn't been too long. Um, so I, I, after that, I met another drug dealer. And at this point we're making road trips to Baltimore, just buying straight capsules of fentanyl, just the powder. Um, and it's only $6. It's so terrible. $6. Um, when, you know, you're, you're paying a ton for the other stuff and for the press pills, hop, skip and a jump, you go to Baltimore and you, you can just grab a whole bunch. And I am, li- I am driving this person that I barely know just to get free stuff mm-hmm. because I'm driving and I am putting myself in the worst, dangerous, dangerous parts that you could be in to, to number one, be a female and to number two, just to be in that area at all. You know, I've had a few bad experiences in that area where I've gotten robbed Um, you know, I've had a a gun pointed to the back of my head and you would think that would be enough to stop you. And it is not nothing, absolutely nothing can stop you. At this point, I had made a few trips with this person back and forth, back and forth. Um, and then the biggest blessing of my life happened. I had a blackout for two days. I don't remember anything. All I know is I was driving and I got, I, I, I stopped somewhere again. I don't know why, but I pulled into somebody's driveway and I threw my keys in the woods. Have no idea why 
this is six o'clock in the morning on a Thursday morning. Um, and the last thing I remember is Tuesday night. So Thursday at 6 a.m., police were called because uh, me and this person were searching for my keys. And that is when I was picked up with 16 grams of fentanyl, 10 opanas, and a slew of pressed Xanax pills. And was charged with three felonies and 17 misdemeanors. Wow. Yeah. Yes. I do not remember the trip to the jail. Um, you know, I was driving, but my, threw my keys in the woods so they couldn't get me for a DUI because I didn't have my keys and the car was off. That was pretty much the only blessing of that. But this was a blessing in disguise because this is what I needed. This is what I absolutely needed in order to get my life back on track. I was taken to the jail. I was told, is there anything else on you? Because once we get there and if you have anything else and we find it, that's more charges. Well, I'm so out of my mind that I didn't even know I had anything else on me. And when lo and behold, I get to jail and stuff just starts coming out, out of my shirt. Mm -hmm. So that was another couple tacked on there. Um, so at this point, my family is just sick of my shit. So they left me in jail. I mean, I called and cried and begged and pleaded for somebody to get me out, but I, but they wanted money to get me out, you know, on a bond. I think I can't remember, but I think it was like 5,000 secured bond. Nobody was coming to get me. They were like, nope. So I was thrown into a jail cell. Um, and I withdrew for two days I was in there with nothing. And I mean, I was sick as a dog, but it was a necessity. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of sat in there and slept for a day because I was just so messed up. But the next day I, you know, I come to and I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? What the, how did you get here? Right. And, you know, I'm sitting in a jail cell with two other girls, same charges pretty much, except for the other one had about 75 capsules on her. Yeah. So it is definitely a serious epidemic down here where I'm at. I mean, anywhere, but really fentanyl is just rampant around here. Um, So I get out of jail. Um, I was given, I saw the commissioner or I saw a judge the second day and they gave me a 10,000 unsecured. Don't know how I got that. Um, I was really lucky to get that an unsecured bond. So I was able to go, but still yet again, my family was done with me. I had to hitchhike home from the jail because it is in back ass woods. So it was far from where I live. So I had to hitchhike home. I mean, it's just, just a mess. It, it, It all was a mess. I get home and my bags are packed on my driveway. Um, and like, nobody wanted me around. Who were you living with at this time? So at this point, I was with my husband at the time and, um, my children, but everybody was finished with me at this point, completely done. Um, and all my stuff was packed on the driveway, ready to roll. (laughs) So I was like, not getting back in that house. Um, and 
you know, I was let out on a pretrial release as well. So along with the unsecured bond, I had to provide a urinalysis. And when I provided that, I wound up having every single drug that you could think of in there. Mm. Um, I was told after the fact. And I, you know, I don't remember even doing half of them. So just showing you some oh, more of the know. craziness of it all. Yeah. I mean, even Suboxone, all that stuff in there, everything you could think of. So the stipulation on this unsecured bond was I go to the jail um, twice a week and do a urinalysis. I could not give them a clean urine at all the whole time I was out. I wind up calling a lawyer and I really, she kind of helped turn my life around. Yeah. Um, she said, Aaron, do you think you have a problem? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I actually had to think about that. <laughs> I had to think about that. And um, she said, you know, I really want you to be a good mother and be able to take care of your children and, and you know, all, all the things that you need to do to be a good productive member of society. And um, she's like, I really think you need rehab. And I was like, can I sleep on it? Like, really, I needed a day to think about this which is crazy, <laughs> but really it's because I just wanted to keep getting high and it didn't yeah. matter that I was on a bond that they could have revoked at any point at all. Um, but the next day I called her and I decided to go. However, there was no beds available for, I want to say it was like five days. I had to wait up an extra five days. So I thought that was my scapegoat as well. I was like, I'm going to rehab, screw it. I'm going to do as much as I can until I walk in that door. Yep. And I am telling you, I continue to go to that jail and pee dirty for them every single time. Every single time. The bond could have been revoked at any point. And I get in the car that morning to leave for rehab, which was September the 9th. And I go... And I stop at the man's house before I go to rehab. And I am driving to his house, vomiting my brains out because I had done so much, but I needed to do more before I needed that last hurrah, you know, right. before I got to okay. rehab, which is crazy. It's, it's just so crazy. But I'm telling you, I went to an amazing facility that has re really taught me a lot. I I'm super grateful for that. But I wasn't grateful when I first got in there and I had the biggest pity party for myself. Mm -hmm. And while I was in there, I was indicted by the grand jury. So I found that out while I was in there. And that was then that was even worse. Oh my, woe is me. I'm going away for the rest of my life. And you know, all that. I was slapped with about 46 years of charges. Oh, wow. That is yes. terrifying. That's scary terrifying but it was about three weeks into that stint that I had that aha moment where I was like this really needed to happen in order for me to get myself together because if I had not gotten arrested that night I know for a fact I would either be dead today and not speaking to you or I would still be out there doing the same thing I was doing right until you ended up there. exactly until until whatever happened happened absolutely absolutely um 
I finished rehab. I came home and I did an outpatient rehab as well. Um, I have stayed clean ever since. I went to court and I had an amazing judge. I mean, amazing. He actually saw that I was indeed a drug addict and needed help instead of jail. And he gave me 18 months of drug court. Oh, no. Nice. And, and that is it. I say that is it. However, I had to plead guilty to a 20-year misdemeanor for conspiracy to distribute fentanyl. Mm -hmm. So, but as long as I continue to do what I'm doing right now, stay clean and do my program, then I, I know I'll be fine. Everybody's telling me how hard this is going to be. It has not been hard for me. I'm telling you, it has not been hard for me. Not if you want it. Not if you want it. You, but you have to absolutely want every bit of it. And now I, I really just eat, sleep, breathe this because if I don't, I know where that leads me. And today I have a sponsor. I do NA. I host an NA Zoom meeting every single night with a speaker meeting. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of early in this recovery process, yet I, I can't tell you how many people have told me that I've saved their lives with these meetings. So that makes me, you know, it, it humbles me very, very much. The best way, I always say one of the best ways to save ourselves is to serve others. Yes. They don't you know, get it until they do it, you know? Exactly. And that's so, you were so right because God, I was a selfish son of a bitch. I mean, selfish as they came and it did not matter. But now I help, I help as many people as I possibly can on a daily basis. Yeah. And it makes you want to stay clean. Yes. It makes you want to stay clean because it's like, yeah, it's a great feeling. It's just a, it is a wonderful feeling. And I don't want to let anybody down, especially me. Right. And, you know, another thing is you, you have to have to be selfish in your program in order, in order to stay clean. Mm -hmm. You have to. And I really take that serious. If I, if I can get to an in-person meeting with this COVID going on, I will go to anyone that is available. Yeah. But yet I will still do Zoom meetings as well. And sometimes I go to 10 meetings a week and I don't even care. And, and a lot of times it's even more than that. <laughs> you get into recovery, everything else will follow. You lose your recovery, everything else will follow. <laughs> it's not works. Recovery you are 100%. Either yes. way, yes. Yep. So now how long do you have clean? So I just hit my four months yesterday. Awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Yep. And I don't plan on quitting because I just feel so good. Everything about me feels good. I feel healthy. I can think, oh, I am clear-headed. I'm present. Like, it, it's wonderful. It is wonderful. And I never thought I could be here. Right. And the, the biggest thing for me was that stigma. I did not want anybody to know that I was a drug addict, but everybody already knew I was a drug addict. I know we all, I think we all do that. We think we're so smart and so clever. We think so sneaky, but not at all, <laughs> at all. No, no. So how's the relationship with the family? Has that improved at all? 
working on all that still. <laughs> and I'm glad I have a sponsor to help me through it. Right. Well, because like, um, actually somebody said this in a meeting years ago and he said, you know, because, um, a newcomer had shared about how they'd been clean for six months, but their family still, you know, didn't want anything to do with them, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, you know, man, you have to think about how many years did you put them through this? And we get clean for six months and we want people to do cartwheels. So exactly. it's not how it works. Exactly. So it's a process. Right. It's a rebuilding process. And know? I'm okay with that today. I am okay at where it stands today. I am. Because I know it will get better. You know, I know for my husband and my mother and, you know, they're scared. Now that, now that I'm going on six years, they're a little more, you know, they're more comfortable. <laughs> Um, but at the beginning, I mean, they're just scared. They don't want to go through that again. They don't want to feel like that again. They're, you know, so afraid that they're going to have this person back in their life just to, you know, watch them leave and go do this all over again. And, you know, watching somebody you love slowly dying, because that's what addiction is. That's, oh, yeah. that's hard. That, that takes a toll physically, mentally, and spiritually. It Absolutely. Does. It does. I look back on pictures of me. I actually have videos of me nodding out. People would take of me. I have them. It, I don't even look like that person. It does not look like me at all, at all. Right. It's, it's unreal. The, the changes we see. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, it's a powerful one. We will definitely check back in to see Thank how you. it's going um <laughs> we'll have to come back on your year anniversary yes thank yes. you so much for having me absolutely keep me posted keep me posted and we'll have you back for your one year we'll we'll celebrate with a with a zoom recording 